everybody knows what's happening, but we're excited about what's going on. We're going to get back in, uh, you know, as we ring in the new year. And so I was putting together uh, what we were going to study and where we were headed this coming year. And uh, I was trying to figure out where we were going to go, what we were going to study. And, and I've always had people ask me, well, you know, how do you choose your sermons? How do you choose your sermon series? And I just follow whatever squirrel I see, and that's not really. Um, we come out of the book of, of Mark, and Mark, as we looked last year, action-packed the entire way. Jesus was always moving. He had that forward momentum. He was always going somewhere. He never sat still, except for a few times when he fell asleep, or he prayed, or he sat at the well. Beyond that, and, and even when he did that, he had a mission in mind, right? And that's what we see with Jesus. Well, I was looking at that, and I was, you know, the word discipleship kept coming through my mind, uh, and, and that is our key word. We're really going to focus on, on discipleship this entire year as we go through it. And so we're going to be studying uh, through the book of Acts. And, and, and I was going through different ones, and, and I just kept coming back to Acts. And, and every time that I would talk about discipleship, every time, you know, be, you know, maybe we should study the life of Timothy. Well, maybe we should look at Titus, and we could, we could see how, how Paul and Barnabas and how they trained. And, and every time I would say something, Jared would, was, would say, well, you know, there's the book of Acts. And I would keep coming back to it, and I keep coming back to it. And finally, I just said, okay, we're going to study through the book of Acts. But then we had to come up with the, the catchy theme and the title and all of that. And the one thing that kept going through my mind over and over and over again, because so many people today will not know what it means, so that's why I'm going to title of it, Shift. And when I was thinking of this, I was thinking of a gear shift. Now, how many of you can still drive a standard vehicle? Wow. Wow. I know, all the old people, the youth went away and the youth were like, what? I mean, even, even semis are automatic now. Yeah, I was like, really? Um, anyways, so I thought about all of the different ways that I learned how to drive a standard. The first one that I learned how to drive, uh, my parents had a little Mazda wagon. And the way that I learned to drive it was it was the only vehicle that we had other than the pickup truck. My dad had surgery, and it was on his right shoulder. So he taught me how to drive a stick from sitting in the passenger seat. So I would put it into first gear, he would push the clutch, he would hold with his left hand, and then I would reach over and I would shift into the gears. And that's how I actually learned how to drive a stick shift. And then... He didn't actually, my, my dad would not teach me how to drive when it actually come to the road. It was my mom. And she took me out and she taught me how to drive a stick properly because, I mean, it was easy shifting those gears. What, what's a clutch? You know, I had to learn that whole system. And then my grandpa, he got a, uh, a new Chevy uh, pickup truck, diesel pickup truck. You revved that thing up as high as you wanted to go and it shifted perfectly. I mean, that thing was just easy to be, I loved driving that truck. Then I learned how to drive the semis, actual semis with, with transmissions. And I, I learned how to drive starting with uh, a, a regular 10 speed. And you know you had to learn with the air brake to release it and you could go back and drive the gears, learn how to drive my dad's 18. Uh, it, it was awesome learning how to do those. But then um, one of the guys who had a farm, he had a 10 speed and I said, yeah, I know how to drive a 10 speed. And I got in, oh my. 
It was one of the fuller 10 speeds that it's completely different. And if you've ever driven one, it is a pain, okay? Unless you've learned on it and then you're good. But the way that you shifted, it's completely different. And I say all of that to say that we need to learn how to shift gears. We need to just not put it into automatic drive and go, here I go. And everything's just going to go. We have to learn what we are called to do. And so I want us to go forward together as we shift gears from just looking at the life of Jesus and seeing how Jesus was in motion to what we have been called to do. How do we move forward together? How do we learn how to move? And so that's what I want us to do. And you know, there's a lot of exciting things that we see happening inside the church, outside the church. We're clearing trees, we're clearing logs, we're looking forward. And a lot of people have asked, well, eventually that is just going to be an expanded area to where uh, we have more area for the youth to play. Uh, eventually, I would love in, in this next year to start, uh, I want to put a pavilion over there to where it can be covered, that we can sit underneath of it. We don't have to carry chairs in and out. We have, you know, a, a covered place to be able to sit uh, when we do outward event, outside events. So that is what is planning on going out there. And, and here's the thing. All of those things are great. And I've had people ask me, Travis, do you want to be a megachurch? I want to be a missional church. But here's the thing, if we are truly a missional church, and if we're doing the work that we see happening in the book of Acts, we're going to see a miracle happen. We're going to see amazing things happen, because if we are a missional church, we are spreading the gospel of Jesus. We are moving forward together, and when that happens, we will grow numerically and closer to Jesus spiritually. And so that's what I want us to see. I want to see us grow and to have exponential growth starting with the discipleship and where we're at. That's what I want us to do as we go through the book of Acts because discipleship is about growing in the Lord, growing our faith, growing our family, and the future glory of the Lord, looking at what happens as we move forward. That's what I want us to see. And here's the thing. We're not going to try to do big things because if Travis tries to do big things, what will happen? we're going to fail. If we individually try to do big things, we're going to fail. But if we say, God, you are big and you will do big things, guess what's going to happen? It'll happen. Because it's God's plan and that's what we've been called to focus on. So when we look at the book of Acts, it again is a book of action, okay? Except for the very beginning where they're told to wait. Beyond that, it is a book of action, all right, but there was a reason why they're told to wait, and we're going to get into that. And, and I wrote down five quick things that I want us to talk about when we look at the book of Acts. So what are five reasons why we should look at the book of Acts? What is engaging about it, and what is the application? So the first one is that it is a bridge. When, when we look at the book of Acts, it comes to be a, a bridge for us. Could you imagine if our Bibles didn't have the book of Acts in it? Now some of you are like, what, what's the book of Acts? Have you ever read that? I haven't read that. I don't know what that is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is our bridge because the, the, it is the bridge to get us to where we're headed because we wouldn't know who Paul was and we wouldn't know how the church exploded other than there were these epistles, there were these churches that were in Corinth and Ephesus and all over Thessalonica. All of these churches got started when we find about, out about them in the book of Acts. So it is a bridge to see how the Holy Spirit continues the action of what Jesus started. 
And then we have a transition. We have a transition. For thousands of years, God dealt directly with the people of Israel. Now, there were some things that happened uh, with the Gentile nations, and, and even with Jesus, he did go to certain areas, and he spoke about how the coming kingdom needed to go to Samaria, it needed to go to, to the Gentiles, but for the most part, in the, the Gospels, the message, and in the Old Testament, it was just to the Jewish people. But then, Right after Jesus' resurrection, and we have the starting of the church, the Jews, the apostles, they were reluctant to take it to the Gentiles. But then, with Paul, we see it going primarily to the Gentiles, still to the Jews, but primarily to the Gentiles. Here's the thing. Some of you are like, what's that word Gentile mean? Everyone in this room is a Gentile, unless you're Jewish. It's that simple. So you're either Jew or you're not. And if you're not, then you're a Gentile. So all of us are Gentiles. So I'm very thankful for the book of Acts, and we have the transition that happens because I'm able to be here, you are able to be here because we have this transition that is actually taking place here. And Paul makes this statement near the end of the book of Acts. He says, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 28, verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles they will listen. What's the opposite of that? Y'all aren't. Jews, you're not listening. They will listen. Gentiles will listen. So we have a transition. Number three, we have a force. Acts is an account of evangelism whereby people, through the power of the Holy Spirit, literally changed the world. I, I love this definition of evangelism. Evangelism is doing normal life with gospel intentionality. Do we take the gospel intentionally? We just have to keep living normal. We don't have to stand out on a soapbox on the corner and try to preach and and yell at people with our Bibles. That rarely works. What really works is when you live your normal life with gospel intentionality that you will share with people who are around you all the time who are in your normal day-to-day life. Those opposed to the gospel said this about uh, Christianity. Acts chapter 17, verse 6. These men who have turned the world upside down have have come here also. Ah! We don't want them here because they've turned the world upside down and now they're here. Do people say that about Stafford County Christian Church? They need to. They're here, and they're going to spread the gospel message, and they're going to do it intentionally. And that is what we've been called to do. It's fascinating. There are 110 people mentioned in the book of Acts by name. You know what that tells me? God will use you. He took ordinary people and did extraordinary things with them. And what that tells me is that he's willing to do that with each and every one of us as well. It's stunning when you consider how a group of uneducated apostles made up of fishermen and tax collectors had so much courage to communicate the gospel. That's what we read. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and uh, perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. 
they spoke so eloquently, they spoke with such passion, they had such amazing things to say. How were they able to say them? Because of the Holy Spirit inside of them, and that's what it was all about. And they recognized what? That they had been with Jesus. That's what we have to see as well. So this outward shift of the gospel is the main storyline of Acts because the mandate for missions permeates the entire book. The fact that we have been called to be active, that we need to go forward. We, the whole last year, we watched Jesus, and now it's time for us to be involved and to move forward. Number four, a challenge. When you think about it, our culture has become increasingly pagan and more opposed to biblical Christianity. Much like the first century when morality was maligned, babies were sacrificed, idols were worshipped, Christians were oppressed, and the church exploded with growth. That's what I'm praying for in 2022. COVID has really shown some weaknesses inside of the church. Now it's time for us to stand up. Now it's time for us to be intentional about what we're doing. We see people, they can't wait to, Spider-Man shows you people are willing to get out. But they're going to get out for the right things. And they want to eat, they're tired of cooking at home. They've done that for the last year and a half. It's time for the kitchen to sit because the, 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 the items, the stoves are starting to get worn out and the dishwashers are starting to get worn out. It's time to start eating out again and everybody's eating out again, right? So we're going to see you at church on Sunday? I'm scared. Um, things are, uh, well, um, I just saw you at Buffalo Wild Wings yesterday. Show up at church. Amen. Sorry. I get a little focus all right um if we want christianity to grow if we want to be a missional church it's on us every single one of us to spread the gospel word and, and i want to see these chairs full and, and listen i there is great sickness going around and i've had many calls this week who have said hey we're not going to be there because we're sick our family is quarantined and it's going around and listen i get it I understand it's made its way around our family. It's made its way around our church family. All of you have family that are struggling with it. And so I'm not trying to make light of it. But at the same time, we need to be missional minded. And we need to really make sure that we are spreading the word the way that we have been called to. Acts chapter 4 verse 20 says, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Here's the thing. Peter and John have been locked up. Uh, for performing a miracle. Peter and John have been told and scolded, do not preach, stop it, that's enough. We're gonna set you free as long as you promise that you won't preach of Jesus anymore. And this is what they said. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Can we say that? Are we willing to say that? I don't care what the government says. I don't care what, what other people say. I'm going to preach. I'm going to share the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Number five, mission. While the good news of the gospel spread throughout Jerusalem is that it, it extended to different cultures, languages, and people groups. 
People from every walk of life and every racial background were saved and enfolded into the ever-expanding church. That was what we read in Acts 1.8, that the gospel was to go to everyone. At its core, Acts is a book about each of us living on mission. It is action-packed, and that's what we're going to truly see. So let's actually dig in. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let, let, let's dig in. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here's the main thrust of the opening verses of Acts. We, have all, we all need to finish the task that's in front of us. Jesus started an amazing work. It's on us to continue it. Now, he's going to finish it. <laughs> he's coming back. And he's going to finish the ultimate work. We need to continue it, and we need to keep moving forward. And I see three challenges for us. Number one, join Jesus and keep working. Join Jesus and keep working. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, sounds very similar to Luke chapter 1, verse 3. We read, it seemed good to me also, having followed all, the, all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That's Luke chapter 1, verse 3. So we have this guy named Theophilus that, that, that um, Luke is writing to. And, and so Luke is a doctor. He's going to write in a very amazing way, and he's laying all of this out for us. He is a respected doctor. He was personally acquainted um, with firsthand witnesses. Colossians chapter 4 verse 4 refers to him as the beloved physician. And it says, and we'll see as we work through uh, Acts, we'll see him use the words, the pronouns we and us. Do you know what it says here? Not only did he have a front row seat in what was happening, he was involved in the mission. He didn't just sit back and he was writing everything down. Okay, Paul, and now what are we going to do? No, what are we going to do? And, and that's exactly what we see happening here. It, it's likely Theophilus was a distinguished dignitary because government officials like Felix and, and Festus were given the, the same most excellence in front of their names as well. Now, we don't know for sure wh who Theophilus was, what really his background was, but he's probably some uh, distinguished man that he is writing this account to. And I love it because we get to read it here today as well. The book of Acts is, is really just a sequel to the Gospel uh, of Luke. We see this in the second half of verse 1. It says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. So, in, in the book of Luke... We read there that he began to do what Jesus began to do, but now he's going to continue it. If the Gospel of Luke records what Jesus began to do in his human body, the book of Acts is going to tell us what happened after Jesus was resurrected. And it's going to tell us all about 
the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling within us and doing his work. That's what we see here. You know, I, I, I've been asking myself this question recently. Are the best days in front of or behind SCCC? They're in front of us. Just in case you were wondering. Some of you are like, what's he going to say? What, what's going on? <laughs> Come on now. The best days are in front of us. We, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 24, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatest and your mighty hand, your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? What that tells me is I don't have to just look at the past. I need to look at the future, and I need to see that there are mighty things in front of us that are in store for us. And listen, again, we've taken some steps back over the last year and a half, but here's the thing. I know that God has mighty work still in front of us to do, and that is what we're going to focus on. Let's be clear. Jesus finished his work of salvation, but his work of building his church continues. And shirt, we, we are to continue that work of discipleship, of, of growing closer to Jesus each and every day. We do that with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit by opening up his word, by praying to him, by surrounding ourselves in fellowship. And, and here's the thing, you need you to be involved in fellowship. You need you to be involved in, in the men's activities, in the women's activities, in life groups, in, in, in Bible study. You need you to be active. That is how you'll grow. That is how discipleship truly happens, and you can't just do it on your own. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Are you sure? John, did you write that down right? Because you just said that Jesus said that I can do more than he did, or I can do exactly what he did. He wrote it down right. Because here's the thing that we need to understand. While Jesus was here on earth, how many places could Jesus be? One. He, he, Jesus, in physical form, could only be in one place. When he left, the Comforter was coming. When he left, the Holy Spirit was coming. And when he was coming, the Holy Spirit is in each and every one of us as believers. And because of that, we can do mighty works together. And that's what we have to remember. That's what we have to hold on to. Verse 2 record, records the turning point in the Gospels and Acts. It's more fully developed in verses 9 through 11, but we read, until the day when he was taken up. So he was there with them. He was telling them everything that they needed to do, but eventually he was going to be taken up. He was going to be exalted. He was going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And when he did that, that is when it became on us. Before he ascended, he spelled out some very clear commands. After he had given command through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to make, his, to make sure his followers knew what he wanted them to do, Jesus commissioned them with some orders. Now, we're going to uncover those orders as we move forward. Over the, the coming weeks and months, we're really going to lay out what those orders are. 
What are our marching orders? Jesus is going to lay it out right in front of us. Let me clarify. We need to stop doing things for Jesus. What we need to do is start letting God do and Jesus and the Holy Spirit do a work in us and through us. Big difference. Jesus, did you see what I did? I love it when my kids come up to me. Not so much anymore, um, unless they want allowance or something. Um, but they would come up and they say, Dad, 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 did you see what I did? I cleaned up. Dad, 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 I did the dishes. Dad, Dad, got to redo them. Um, but they were so excited because they made their bed. They were so excited because they did this. I, I did, and, and they're so excited to tell us what they did. But here's the thing. We need to allow the work to be done in us and through us. And that's the important thing. One, one pastor captured it this way. He says, I can't. He never said that I could. He can. He always said he would. It's not up to me. It's up to the Spirit living inside of me to do that work. Now, I have to be that vessel, and I have to be willing to be the hands and feet that he has called me to do. I can't just sit here. Yep, Travis said that the Holy Spirit's going to do a work in me. All I have to do is sit on the couch, and it's going to happen. You still got to get up and do it. But he is working inside of you. He's going to give you the words to say. Every Sunday morning, before I come up onto this stage... I pray, Holy Spirit, please speak to me. Two weeks ago, I forgot to, and that's when I embarrassed my wife to death, okay? So I will always, and if you did, go back, listen, but I won't, we will never speak of it again. Um, I pray, Holy Spirit, speak to each heart that's here today, because these words of mine will never work, but it is yours that will do the work, and that is what we have to truly see. Number two, ponder the proof and keep worshiping. Ponder the proof and keep worshiping. Look at verse three. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. The word presented means that he placed beside, he stood nearby. We, we know that Jesus appeared at least 10 different times or 10 different occasions to over 500 people. Over those 40 days that he was there, he showed himself, and he gave commands, and he, it says here that he gave many proofs. It means that he had demonstrable evidence. What it actually says is that it is the strongest proof of which a subject is susceptible to, involving hearing, sight, and touch. He stood before them. They were able to touch him. They were able to fully understand who he was. One example is found in Luke 23, verse 39. See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. It's interesting. If you take nothing else from the message here this morning, this is it. Listen to this right here. The disciples, all of them doubted. We love to put the onus upon Thomas, right? But even the other ten doubted. But once, once they met Jesus, they never doubted again. 
Once they had the proof of the resurrection, they never doubted again. If your default is doubt, go back to the resurrection. If your default is doubt, go back to the empty tomb. If he didn't rise from the dead, as 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, your faith is in vain. Everything that we believe all revolves around the fact that the tomb is empty, that he resurrected from the grave. Nobody stole his body. None of that stuff happened. He resurrected, and he is sitting at the Father's right hand. And that's important for us to understand. Those first disciples, those 11 disciples that were there, never doubted again. And where did they start their mission? We're going to keep reading about this as we go through Acts chapter 1 and into Acts chapter 2. In Jerusalem. They stayed in Jerusalem. If they wanted to start some crazy off-the-wall thing called Christianity, they would have went to some backwoods little podunk town to start it. No, where'd they start it? On Pentecost with hundreds of thousands of people, maybe even a million people in Jerusalem. Their lives could have been on the line. And Peter stands up, Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and says, y'all killed Jesus. That's my version. Um, numerous, listen, numerous times, numerous times in that message, Peter said, you are the ones that crucified Jesus. If they didn't believe in the resurrection, why in the world would they stand up there? Just weeks earlier, they were scared to death and hiding because they were afraid they watched Jesus die and we could be next. What changed in them? The many proofs that Jesus gave to all of them. Number three, submit to the Spirit and keep waiting. Submit to the Spirit and keep waiting. And this is the only time you're going to hear me talk about waiting here. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now the phrase, staying with them, is interpreted as eating with. He stayed and he ate with them. Physically, Jesus was with them. He shared fellowship, table fellowship with them. The word ordered is a very strong verb. It means binding the believers. Stay in Jerusalem. He bound them and commanded them to stay there. I wonder how hard it was for them to wait. That they were ready to go. I mean, they had the message, and, and they, maybe they wanted to head home, and they wanted to share the message. Maybe they wanted to go right out into Jerusalem at that very moment. But I'm wondering how hard it was for them to wait when Jesus resurrected, or when Jesus was ascended until the time that they actually took the message. That had to be hard to wait there. I mean, anticipation is very hard. I mean, we just went through Christmas and opening those presents and seeing those presents sitting underneath of the tree and we wanted to shake them. How many of you went up to your box and shook it? It's, what's, what's in here? I hope it's not breakable. You know, but anticipation is like, I can't wait for this. But that's what he said. I, I want you to wait with anticipation. According to a new study of 2,000 adults, the luxuries of life have made it 
very hard to be patient. We are a nation of impatience. The survey revealed the frustrating fact that if you have to wait on a web page to load for more than 16 seconds, you get angry. Uh, yes. <laughs> Amen. I, I don't even want to wait 16 seconds. I, what's going on? You know? <clears throat> Waiting at a stoplight. If we wait more than 25 seconds, is this light ever going to change? Except for 60 seconds or whatever it is. I mean, like we, we, we are completely impatient. 38% lose their patience when trying to take notes while the preacher is preaching. That's why I don't give you notes anymore. <laughs> the disciples were to wait what do we read here? For the promise of the Father. It's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit because without Him, they were powerless to proclaim the gospel. Yet they could have shared the gospel, but just because they would have tried to share the gospel doesn't mean that it would have made an impact. It's the Spirit who makes the impact. That's what we have to hold on to. I want us to see a remarkable truth taught by Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The word nevertheless is used as a, a, a contrast or an antithesis to what the disciples were feeling. Then Jesus says something to get their attention. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now, Jesus always told the truth, but he wants to really drive home this point to them. Basically, what he was saying is, hey, listen up. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. What he says next is, again, it's shocking to us. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. This word means useful, profitable, beneficial. It is to your advantage that I go away. No. But, but, but how, how are we going to know where you're going? How are we going to be able to find you? You can't leave us. We still haven't gotten the very first thing you said, let alone this whole concept now. I, how am I supposed to do this without you, Jesus? I truly believe that's what those disciples were saying. Jesus tells them why his departure would be profitable. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Three times Jesus uses the word go. Action. It is to help the disciples understand that he had to leave them. But if he went another would help would come to them to help them go he's trying to get across the point that it was time for him to leave but then he says that he would send it means to dispatch to thrust out he would send the holy spirit he would thrust out the holy spirit and because of the holy spirit coming and living within because of that holy spirit living within us then we could then go and that's what we truly see here here's a good question to ponder 
Would you rather have Jesus right next to you, sitting with you right now? Or would you rather have the Holy Spirit inside of you, helping you every step of the way? Because here's the thing, if Jesus is sitting next to you, he's not sitting next to the person over here or the person around the world. We need the Spirit to be in us and among us. J.D. Greer writes, when Jesus was on earth, his miraculous work was contained to wherever he went at that moment. Now that he is in us, his power is wherever we are. The Spirit inside us is better than Jesus beside us. The Holy Spirit appears by name 50 times in the book of Acts. I'm reminded the key is not to rely on our own strength, but upon the strength of God within us. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It won't be by force that we turn this world upside down. It won't be because we're so intellectually smart that we will turn this world upside down. We will turn this world upside down because of the Holy Spirit inside of us guiding us and giving us the words to say. That's what it all comes down to. One pastor said it this way, and this is how we'll bring it all to an end. When God wants to reach the world, his first step is to tell his people to slow down and wait for him. We get so anxious, we get so uptight, we get so wound up that we just go without really waiting, without reflecting, without being discipled. That is our focus for this year. We're going to wait and we're going to understand what discipleship means, but here's the thing it is an action filled book. And we're going to shift and we're going to move forward together and we're going to do a mighty, a mighty work. Not because we do it, but because Jesus is leading the charge with his Holy Spirit. It's up to us. Will we join Jesus and keep working? Will we ponder the proof and keep worshiping? Will we submit to the Spirit and keep waiting? I love how Jesus ends it here, and he says, hey, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That word means to be immersed in the Holy Spirit, to have the Spirit completely living inside of you, being there to help you every step of the way. That is what we've been called to do. So if you're here this morning and, and you need to Maybe start fresh. For the very first time, you need to give your life over to Jesus. Today can be that day. If, if you need to, if you need prayer, you need someone to, to talk with, you, you're frustrated, you're, you're confused, you're worried about something that's going on, we're here for you. To pray with you, to help you. If you're here this morning and you want to place your membership and say, hey, I want to serve right here. I want to be a part of this church in Stafford. Today can be that day as well. We're going to take communion and we have um, stations up front, on the sides, in the back. And, 
and you can get up and you can get your emblems. Um, if you're just joining us with us, there's two. Um, so be careful when you pick them up. Underneath, you just lift the one up and the, the bread is underneath. And then the juice is on top. We reflect and we remember what Jesus did for us. We've talked a lot about the resurrection. But before we got to the resurrection, we focus upon what Jesus did for us by going to the cross. The suffering that he went through. He chose to go to the cross for us. He died for you and for me. And so we take the, the bread and we take the juice to remember his sacrifice. Let's pray. Almighty Father, I thank you so much that you have allowed us to worship you. You have allowed us to come into your house through praise, through prayer, through communion, through hearing your word. Father, I just ask that, that you help us to truly see that you are calling us to do a mighty work. But we can't do that work without you doing it in us and then working through us. That we always remember it's not about what Travis did. It's not about what Dan did. It's not about what Alex did or Natalie did or Liz did or Barry did. It's about what you did and what you do through us that we will see your mighty work happening right here at Stafford County Christian Church and around the world. Father, help us to find ways to get plugged in, to understand what it means to be discipled, to know you as our Savior. We pray all of this in your Son's most holy and precious name. Amen.